If you would please take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 3, and I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. We'll just look at two verses this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious word that we have for absolute truth. Just a wonderful thing that we many times take for granted. Um, Lord, I pray that you would bless just the unpacking of these two verses, that we would be able to glean some things that would help us, but more importantly, that we would glorify and honor you um, through the implementing these passages, this passage into our life. Uh, Lord, we... Just pray that we would be able to honor and glorify you with our day-to-day life. And Lord, I pray for your grace. We just thank you that uh, you, you give us grace even when we are not aware of it, even when we're not asking for it. But Lord, you're a gracious God and we thank you. Bless our time and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well. We live in a very selfish age, it seems like, a self-focused age. And it's demonstrated just by a few things. Really, abortion itself is a very selfish act. And that's uh, that's characteristic of our age. But also just the, the fact that we're self-absorbed into our phones. We just are attached to that thing. And it, it causes us to... To just be focused more on ourselves, our own thoughts, and our own uh, in our own minds. Very little commitment then to other people. That, that's what happens. That's what sin does, doesn't it? It kind of draws us in on ourselves. It's very self-focused. And even family relationships in our our country are beginning to disintegrate because of that very thing. Um, we we tend to say to ourselves, I'll, I'll stay with you as long as it makes me happy, as long as it's good for me, then I'll stay with you. But boy, once it's not good for me, I'm not sacrificing myself at all for you. And we and we just leave. We leave those family relationships. But as believers, we are called to others-oriented life. Not a self-focused life, but an other-oriented life. And and that's a key. That, that's very important. That plays a significant role in godliness. And we've been talking about godliness the past few weeks. And we've looked at the ingredients, certain ingredients of, of godliness. And we just continue to do so. Particularly godly acts. The actions of godliness. What does it look like on the outside? We know that it, it comes from the heart. And there has to be external uh, elements of that godliness, and it's not just a, a code of conduct, it's not just a hairstyle or a certain look, it's, and it seems like today, I have to say, that it's not just thumbing our nose up at society and being counter-cultural or anything like that. Godliness first starts in the heart, it's a condition of the heart, and it, and it moves out 
And it flows out to actions. And we have to see it. We have to see it. And we've looked at some ingredients. Uh, first of all, we've seen integrity. It has to be the whole person. Uh, we've also seen that godliness must include diligence or vitality. There's a certain drive. It can't be lazy. Godliness is not lazy. Godliness also must include a maintaining of uh, a contented heart. There has to be a heart that's content with God. And that's the action as we, we maintain that contented heart. And when our heart is not content with God, then my desires... The passions of my heart override everything else and, and my way becomes more important than God's way. And we exchange godliness then for selfishness or the worldliness. That's another ingredient. And this today I want us to see that another ingredient, and really this is a, a kind of a key ingredient, and that is gracious acts, acts of grace. We are to be gracious people. If we're going to be like God, godly, God-like, then we have to uh, demonstrate the same characteristic that God has. And the most dominant characteristic, at least from man's perspective, folks, is that God is a God of grace. We, we see His grace at every turn. And we, from our perspective, it's amazing grace. It's significant grace. It's something that we, we don't see. In fact, every action of God, at least toward us, every action, this side of hell, folks, is grace. We deserve death, but God is very gracious. And, and so, as far as godliness is concerned, a significant ingredient to that is, is godly acts, or, or gracious acts. And if we were making a Thanksgiving dinner, it would be the turkey to that dinner. Now, if you leave out the turkey, you really don't have a Thanksgiving dinner. You have a a dinner, but it's not a Thanksgiving dinner, right? We need to understand the importance of this. This this is one of the main ingredients is grace. God is a God of grace, and we are to be gracious people. We're to be gracious people. Now... In, in our passage here, Solomon is impressing this upon his son. To build into his son's life grace. Grace. Actually, it needs to be a habit, both grace and truth. And that's what we see in, in verse 3 here. And I, I want us to first kind of get the, the sense of the passage, understand this passage, and then we'll do some application of this passage. First note the context here. It's obviously in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, he tells us what this book can do. It can take the simple and make them wise. That's what he wants. In chapter 2, um, that was chapter 1. Chapter 2, uh, he, in, he pushes his son to seek after, pursue this wisdom. And in fact, we have to understand that this wisdom comes from God. And then chapter 3 points out that that he, we need to, if you look at verse 1, he says, My son, do not forsake the teaching of um, my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. This wisdom comes from parents, and children need to learn that early on, that this is the source of wisdom. But one of the first things that he points out then is this principle of both grace and truth. So you see the flow of thought there. 
It's both grace and truth. It's one of the first principles that he points out. Now, these two ingredients, these two uh, elements of the Christian life are important to our spiritual life, but also important to just life in general. And primarily, the way we conduct ourselves with unbelievers. But it's both the spiritual life within the church and outside the church as well. And there has to be a balance of these two things. Now, how do we maintain that? This is what Solomon addresses. How do we maintain this, uh, this balance? How do we maintain these two ingredients of both grace and truth in our lives? And he gives us two ways. First of all, he points out the negative way. Verse 3, he says, do not let. He starts out with negatively. Do not let. Kindness and truth leave you. That's the, that's a warning. You, you keep what you have. There's a certain amount of grace that we have maybe built in from our childhood, but we hang on to that. We don't let that go. We, we keep that. And then on top of that, we bind them around our neck, write them on the tablets of the heart. You got two commands, bind and write. Bind them around your neck, and, and he's referring to a necklace here. Uh, we might, uh, a better um, illustration, we might use a belt. This morning when I got up, I took a shower and I put my pants on. And I tied those pants on around me uh, in such a way as they don't come down, right? You don't want to see that. That's not good. And so I bind them. And so, that, so, that, so much so that you don't even think about it. It's just part of me. It's just my pants, my shirt, buttons up, and, and those kinds of things. And, and so they, they, they're bound here. And, and then he says, write them on the tablets of your heart. And the old days, they would, they would imprint onto clay. In our print today, we just, you know, use a printer and it, it's kind of a soft print on paper. But you can take and, and you can erase that in, in certain cases. This would be more like Braille. Braille pushes into the paper, doesn't it? So you can feel it and it, it, and it makes that paper certain characteristics. These two ingredients have to be part of our DNA. We push those into our heart. They become habit. They become the reaction of our life. And we might say they become convictions. In our heart. So he's addressed the outward, put it on the outside so we see that, but also in on the heart. And it's something both outside and inside, this grace and truth. And it, it has to be a conviction of the heart. Say, so why is this so important? Look at verse 4. What's the benefit? So, you can say, so that. So you will find favor and good repute. Good understanding is the word repute. It's just favor. It's favor both with God and with man. So you can have favor and that good understanding, insight. So other people will, will say, yeah, he's a reasonable guy. Um, he, he makes sense, you know. He's, he's not overboard one way or the other. He's reasonable. Now, Luke chapter 2, we see that uh, Christ grew, remember that, in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. He grew to, to be that. Socially, he was, he was looked at with favor. And that's a good thing with both God and man. And that's, uh, you know, it's not man-pleasing. 
This isn't, because Solomon teaches against that in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. This is the opposite of grace. The opposite of, of this favor would be this plain rudeness or apathy towards someone or complete disrespect. We'll, we'll see these things in just a minute. Let me show you how it's looked at in Proverbs, though. Just to, Actually, I'll just read a couple of verses in Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 22, he says that you will not go astray. You will not go astray who does, devises evil. I'm sorry. Will they not go astray who devise evil? But kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. You're going to have good favor, and it's going to be come back onto you. This kindness and truth will come back onto you when you are doing that with other people. Now, this was a, a characteristic of, of Christ, isn't it? If you look at John chapter 1, the passage that was read for us earlier, John chapter 1 in verse 14 and in verse 17, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. What's the two major characteristics? Full of grace and truth. And then he reiterates that in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Christ. We saw Him. And the two dominant characteristics was grace and truth. And James pulls these two elements together in James chapter 3 and verse 13 when he's talking about wisdom. Let me point this out to you. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior the deeds of gentleness of, of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not from does not come down from above, but is earthly, natural, and even demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder. God is a God of order and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable and gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit unwavering, without hypocrisy. You, you see those two, perfect, there's truth there, and there's the combination of grace and peace and reasonableness. And that's what, uh, that's what we see in Scripture. And you see those combinations. Now here's the danger, here's what we do. We tend to, to lean to one side or to the other side. We tend to be so gracious, we're, we're like jellyfish. We don't have any spine at all. We just uh, are just mold to, to any old shape. Or sometimes we are just too harsh and we lean toward truth and, and there's no grace in our life and it's just, we just hammer and, and harp on the truth. And what these passages say, that there's a, there's a combination of the both, right? You have to have both. Godliness is, godliness, it must include these acts of grace, this loving kindness, which encompasses truth as well. Now, here's the point, here's the principle. God can use His children best when they speak the truth graciously. It's just, just a fact. That's what we see throughout Scripture. When we use both grace and truth, we are most effective for God. And when you can pull those things together, 
Now, the question then becomes is, how do we, how can truth and grace work together? Now, this takes wisdom, folks. This can be hard. But this is important for us to understand. And it's, and it's hard. It's not an easy thing. So let's look at these two terms and then we'll, we'll apply these as we go along. First of all, let's look at this word truth. So go back to Proverbs chapter 3. He says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. You hold on to this truth, right? Truth. This is absolute. It is fixed because it comes. Truth is fixed because it comes from the very nature of God. God does not change. And He has fixed things into nature. Things cannot be both true and not true at the same time. Right? And because it goes, it comes from the very character and very nature of God, and God is immutable, He does not change. Therefore, there's a certain consistency in our, in our world, which is wonderful. We can go down the road in our car without our car flying off into space. There's a consistency of gravity that keeps us here on, on this earth. And by nature then, truth doesn't flex it's it's firm, it's faithful, we might say, and it lasts. It's not relative, it's absolute. It's absolute. Now, we may see it in different ways. Let me show you some of these things. Uh, Solomon is talking here about any truth, but let me show you what I'm talking about. There's certain truths that are just the facts of the situation, right? In any given situation... Is going to have certain facts. It is what it is. Here's what happened. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. And we live in that world, folks, and we need to speak the truth. We, we have to live by truth. We can't just make it up. We can't just, you know, create this own, our own little environment and, and just say, well, this is the way I saw it. Well, no, we have to live in reality. There's also moral truth. Then I think that we sense with our own convictions of right and wrong in our own heart. Sometimes we don't, we know when we cross that line. But there's, there's moral truth. And we see, sense that with, with our own guilt. And there's really no denying that many times. People know those things. But there's also theological truth. Let's say it, say it like that. And this is, I like to think that theology is just the, the context of our life. The context of our life. God, God defines that. He created us, therefore He defines the context of our life, and we call it theology. But it's, it's really, it just, it is what it is. This is the reality that God, and we get this truth from revelation. God has informed us of these things, that, that man is sinful. It's a harsh truth. That God is sovereign. Another truth. That Christ died for sin. And that faith in Christ is essential for life, for eternity. Those are truths. Absolute truth. Truth doesn't come from this world. We need to note that. It doesn't come from our culture. It comes from our Creator. He defines our life. But there's also another, and, and I think, again, you get this from Scripture, but I think there's principles. There's truths. Truths from God. And again, we get these things from Scripture. These are guidelines for our life. And I think many times we take them for granted. And I think this is what uh, Solomon is talking about with his sons here. We hold on to these truths. 
These truths form our life. They are rare and precious. And we, we do not just cast them like pearls before swine. We have to hold on to them. We have to be careful about them. Truth is sometimes harsh. Truth is, is just essentially an honest look at reality, at our world from the side of God, from God's perspective, we might say. And it's a stark reality. Sometimes it's harsh. Sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes it's, it's sharp. Sometimes we, you know, it's not that important. Some things are more important than, than others. Some truths, some facts, we can easily dismiss. Um, no woman wants to be told that they have an ugly husband, right? But when you look around, the stark reality of life, men, we're not all that pretty. But that's the reality. We can overlook those kinds of truths. I know. All the men are looking, oh no, I'm going to get him when this is over. There's certain truths we can dismiss. It doesn't matter if I'm bald. It doesn't really matter. Truth is outside. There's spiritual truth, though, that we can't overlook. We, we can't overlook. You are, we are sinful people. We are not God. We are not even good. That's their harsh reality. That's the truth. And we need to be told the truth. There's certain truths that, yeah, we can live with. It's not that big of a deal. But there are certain truths that we have to tell. And here's what happens. If we don't tell them, there's a danger of, of drifting into a fantasy land, into speculation. We drift into superstition or really irrationality. We tend to, to not want to tell people the truth, though. Now, let me give you a little quote here. I saw this quote. I thought it was good. It says this. With truth comes division. Now, we need to just know this. We need to just get this in our mind. With truth comes division. A person who seeks to be discerning must be willing to suffer the effects of that division. It's, it's going to separate us, folks. It just is. It will divide not only the believer from the unbeliever, but it may even divide the discerning believer from the undiscerning believer. It may separate the mature from the immature, the naive from the prudent. Here's the thing. Grace is needed. Grace is needed in this truth. We need grace, right? I think we begin to see that. Let's just apply this quickly. Number one, there's a danger for us. Just to, The further society gets away from truth, folks, the more they're going to hate those who speak truth. And we just need to come to grips with that. The more society goes away from the truth, the theological truth, the framework that God has put on us, this culture or this reality that God has established that He is the Creator, we are sinful, He is gracious, and that we depend upon Him, the further society gets away from that reality and creates their own reality, the more they're going to hate us for speaking truth. And we need to be ready for that. We, we just need to be ready for that. And it's one of the things we talked about a little bit in, in Sunday school. It's just a, a harsh reality. 
We need to be ready. And it, and it does take both grace and truth then when we're dealing in that world. Number two, just by way of application, we need to take responsibility for the truth. We have been given this truth and we are responsible for this truth. <clears throat> we have a responsibility to maintain it and maintain the truthfulness of this truth, if you will. And we need to be tenacious about it. We are to know the truth. We are to live out the truth. We are to speak the truth to each other, to one another, to others. And we are to speak the truth to who? Ourselves. And many times I think that's the problem. We don't really speak the truth to ourselves. We like to live in our own little fantasy world. We speak the truth to ourselves. And we need to take the responsibility of truth. Number three, we need to accept truth. Now, this is a little bit different than point two. Accept truth. Many times we coil from truth. We don't want to hear that truth. It's harsh. It's a stark reality of our own lives that we don't want to look at. But folks, we have to. Now here's the way we need to see truth. Truth gives us structure to our life. Truth gives us the stability, the basis on which we, we base all of our decisions really um, upon truth. At least we should All the actions of our lives really should be traced back to absolute truth as found in Scripture. And that gives us a certain stability, a certain structure to our lives that's wonderful. It's wonderful. I like this little quote here. It says, truth, it is through the sting of truthful words that brings my heart into great health. The sting of truthful words. It's a, it has healing properties. When we just face the truth, we can deal with those things honestly and openly. Truth is important. Truth is important. Number four is that we depend upon that structure of truth. We need to depend upon that truth. It's something that we live by. Listen, I think we need to evaluate. I think you need to look at yourself. If you are are just swaying back and forth, you've got to wonder, what am I anchored to? Is there any stability in your life? If there's a lot of anxiety in your life and and a lot of uh, stress, you have to think, what are you anchored to? What's the structure in your life? What truth do you bring to bear upon your circumstances? And, and I'm telling you, men, you have to do this with your children, your wife, your, even yourself. You have to, it's part of being a shepherd, is the truth that we bring to bear upon our lives. It, it will bring that stability and brings a settledness, if you will, a peace to our life. So, we must hang on to both truth and grace, but we hang on to truth, right? We hold on to truth. Let's look at kindness. Kindness, now let's move to this. The word here, go back to Proverbs 3. He says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. So hold on to both of these things. The word kindness here is the word has said in Hebrew. And it's a rich word. It's a wonderful word. It means it's loving kindnesses. It's usually in the plural. In the New Testament, the same word is grace. It just means grace. Now we kind of under estimate this word, I think. It means there's an element of mercy there. There's an element of goodness. Uh, That's goodness for the other person, thinking of the best of the other person in mind. But there's another element of, of loyalty. 
There's a faithfulness here. There's a, a covenant love that's consistent and faithful. And I, I love that. Because we are to be this way, to, to be gracious faithfully, consistently with, with other people. And it's, that then becomes the motivation of our heart. We're not motivated by anger and pride and hatefulness and frustration and manipulating people at all. Look at some of the scriptures uh, related to this. Look over at uh, Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 6. Here's, uh, here's the way it's used. I, I love this because this is characteristic of God. Now, I'm going to read one of them from each category. But this category is just God's graciousness to us. But look at verse 6. It says, verse, chapter 16, verse 6, By loving kindness, and that's our word grace or, or kindness, uh, loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. Now, this is God's uh, loving kindness toward us. And, and it atones for our sin. It's because of that loving kindness, because of God's grace, that we, our sins are atoned for. Now that's, that's wonderful news. It's wonderful news. That's the kind of loving kindness. Because God is, is characteristic of grace. He is characterized by grace. But also, let me read you another passage in 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2. Now, that's the characteristic of God. And I, I don't have to prove that to you. I think you know that one. But in 2 Samuel chapter 2, God expects us to be gracious. And actually, the Hosea passage talks about that. But in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 5, David, he is being gracious now to those who were gracious to Saul. David was very gracious to Saul. It amazes me that he was so kind to Saul. Saul was out to kill David, right? He's out to get him. But there were several times that David had the opportunity to, to kill Saul, but he doesn't. In fact, he, he cut off the edge of his garment one time, and he was even convicted about that. It's a wonderful news. Well, at the news of Saul's death, you would think David would be rejoicing. This guy's not going to try to kill me anymore. But no, David is just the opposite in verse um, chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, uh, Then the men of Ju- Judah came and there anointed David king over the house of Judea or Judah. And they told David, saying, It was the man, the men of Jabeth Gilead who buried Saul. And again, you would think David would be rejoicing. And David said, David sent messengers to these men at Jabeth Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed of the Lord because you have shown this kindness, and there's our word, this grace, this loving kindness, if you will, to Saul, your Lord, and have buried him. Now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth to you. So now, here's the picture. God has been gracious to us. He has shown us loving kindness. And David said, may that same kind of loving kindness be shown to you. Be shown to you. And, and David himself, I also will show the, this goodness to you because of what you have done. 
And that's the way we are to live our life. Because God has shown us loving kindness. We are to be showing loving kindnesses to, to everyone else. Now that's, that's the idea here. That's the idea. Of course, if we look at, uh, Christ. Christ was the epitome of grace, wasn't he? When John was, uh, describing Christ, he described Christ as both full of grace and truth. Whether he was tolerating the, the, the disciples' uh, stupid, sometimes, actions, or whether he was dying on the cross, folks, he was acting in grace. He was so gracious while he was here on this earth. He had so much power, so much ability, and yet he was so kind. Even when he was cleansing the temple, turning over the money changers, it was an act of grace. Those men deserved death. And he was gracious. Acts of grace. Acts of grace. James chapter 1 reminds us. James chapter 1, he says it like this. Pure and unadulterated or undefiled religion in the sight of God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Just practical acts of grace. That's what it comes down to. Pure religion. There's going to be these acts of, of grace in our life. We're to be living gracious lives. The opposite of that, folks, is selfishness. The opposite of that is self-focused. My eyes so much on myself, I don't see the needs in other people. I don't see what needs to happen in your life. I don't have and exercise that grace. Let me show you this illustration of that. In 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2. Now this is a strange illustration, but 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 23. It says, then he went up from there to Bethel. Now, this is Elijah the Tishbite. He's the prophet of God. He is God's man. And he's going up. He's going up uh, to uh, Bethel. And as he was going, by the way, young lads, these rascally little kids, came out from the city and mocked him, saying, Now, why would you mock the prophet of God? Here's what they're saying. I love this verse. And he said, go up, you bald man, or bald head. Go up, you bald head. Apparently, there's some little ditty. I don't know what they're singing there, but this is, you know, they're making fun of his bald head. That's what's happening. No grace there. When he looked around behind him, and he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Now, why was that? Because if you are disgracing God's man, if you have no respect for God's prophet, you have no respect for God. And that's the scary thing here. You have to be very careful. And so he, he curses them in the name of the Lord. The Lord's going to take care of you. And then what happens? Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. Wow! Now, that's the opposite of grace. It's the opposite of grace. That's, that's harsh. But parents, teach your children to be gracious, right? You do learn something. Teach your children to respect. You know, David was so gracious with Saul. 
And Nathan... Nathan was so gracious to David. Remember, David or Nathan could have come in and, and said, David, you're in sin. But he was gracious. He told a little story and explained and showed David his own sinfulness. And God is gracious to us, folks. He is gracious to us. Grace. It's important that we have this in our life. So let's do some application just quickly. Number one, we can be more gracious. We can be more gracious with our words. There's, there's sometimes just silence. It's sometimes passive. Just enduring. I'm sure Christ just endured the disciples sometimes. And he, he wouldn't say anything. And that was just acts of grace. But sometimes it's aggressively building others up with our words. But we can be more patient. We can be more forgiving. And we can use our words in more gracious ways. We need to learn to do that. We need to exercise that, build those things into our life. That's godliness. Number two, we can do more gracious acts. Acts of grace, folks. We need more acts of grace. Looking outside of ourselves at the needs of other people. Just gracious acts. That is what true religion, that's what it's going to lead to. It just will. When God changes that heart, there's going to be a godly heart there. And out of that godly heart is going to come gracious actions. I like what MacArthur said on this point. He says, if I'm not showing grace, I must ask myself, have I forgotten the grace that I've been shown? Boy, that's that's potent. If I'm not showing grace, have I forgotten the grace that has been shown to me? Man. Number number three, and this is the obvious thing, there has to be some wisdom here. You have to know, you have to think, is this the time for to emphasize the grace, or is this the time to emphasize the truth? Now, there were certain times in Christ's life when he was talking with the scribes and the Pharisees, those, uh, those guys were out to get him. He would emphasize the, the truth and he would hit hard. But even then, he was gracious. He could have done a whole lot more. But sometimes, he would be so gracious and forgiving to a lady that was caught in sin. He had perfect balance of grace and truth. And that takes wisdom, folks. That takes wisdom. And, and, and every circumstance is going to be a little bit different. But I'm telling you, we're going to have to go outside these four walls into a world that's going to need the truth. And we're going to have to take that truth to them. And we need to do it in a gracious way. The stark realities of life they must see. But yet, we can be gracious. We need to hold on to both grace and truth. Godliness must include acts of gracious, loving kindnesses. Now, folks, that's what we want. That's what we want to be. If we want to be godly, that's what godliness is. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is We discipline ourselves for godliness by building these two things in our life. Godliness is the conviction and the strength and the stability and the structure of truth. But it's also the love and the compassion and the beauty and the kindness of grace. We have to have both. I was reminded of the fact that Christ is standing before the Father. And He is advocating on my behalf. He is representing me in heaven before the Father. And you know what? We're representing Him on this earth 
in front of a watching world, and we need both grace and truth to be able to do that. Christ was full of grace and truth. How do you represent Him well? Do you represent Him well? Full of grace and truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank You for Your grace in our life. Lord, it's... it's uh, It's the harsh reality that we are sinful people. That we're very selfish people. Self-focused. We really could care less about anyone else. That's the reality. But Lord, you've shown us grace anyway. You've shown us kindness. Act after act of kindness. Lord, we are so blessed beyond measure. And it's just nothing that we have done. It's just of your grace. Lord, may we be gracious people with our words. May we be gracious with our actions as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.